Welcome to the Economic War Room. I want to tell you, the people in this room, you all, right now, are sufficient to change the world. You really are. You're our Gideon's army that's gone to the river. We've cried out and begged and pleaded with God, help save America. And I believe this is a part of it. And it's a big challenge. We've got lots of problems. 81 years and a couple of weeks ago, do you know where the world was? Most people don't realize how close we came to the end of Western civilization. Adolf Hitler was racing across Europe. In fact, he, he had driven the British army to the beaches of Dunkirk. Have you seen that movie, Darkest Hour or Dunkirk, and seen what was going on? You know where America was at that time? America was asleep. America was out of the picture. Our nation sat on the sidelines. We had education failures. In fact, the Nazis had taken over most of the major, major educational institutions, and they were teaching Nazism at American colleges. We had education failures. We had mass political correctness, a compromised media, and failed politicians. Sound familiar? America was purposely led, lulled to sleep in preparation for the conquest of Europe. It was planned, and it was perpetrated, and there was a demonic power pushing it that direction. It was 18 months from the time I told you we were at the precipice before America even got into the war. 18 months later, there was Pearl Harbor. I want to tell you, there are a whole lot of similarities to what Adolf Hitler and his plan to take over the world and what China is doing today with Confucius Institutes at the major universities, interfering in American elections, and all the different things. And they've telegraphed this. Not only they telegraphed it, I've talked about this in the Pentagon. For 12 years, I've been talking about the economic warfare underway. But 81 years ago, Great Britain, the once great superpower, you know the nation where the sun never set on its empire? That Great Britain was on the verge of collapse. They had 360,000 men trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. That's not just Hollywood telling you that. That's the reality. I've got five books on that shelf and on this table that talk about Dunkirk. I've read up on this, and I'll tell you, we were almost done for the world. Had the British lost then, who knows what would have happened. But you know what happened? You saw the movie, and you saw the miracle of Dunkirk, but you didn't hear the whole story. What's really missing is, is mentioned in this book, A Trumpet Sounds for Britain, and that is King George went before the British people. In fact, he went before the entire empire, and he said, we're about to die as a nation. Do I need to go off to Canada? What do we do? And he said, I want everyone in the empire to go into every house of worship and beseech God and pray. And that's the real miracle. That's where it started. It always begins with prayer. And that miracle of prayer ended, created this set of circumstances. Inexplicably, Adolf Hitler stopped the march of the Panzer tanks into Dunkirk and said, no, let's stop. Now, some say that he was afraid of getting the tanks caught in the marshy uh, land around Dunkirk. Others say that Goering convinced him that the Luftwaffe, the, the German Air Force, would be able to bomb them on the beaches. But for whatever reason, he stopped. And that's the first part of this miracle. The second thing is, all of a sudden, they set an airbase up in Flanders, and all of a sudden, the skies over Flanders got so tumultuous that planes could not take off. And the third part of the miracle is the English Channel was made like glass. It was so smooth that you could take pleasure craft across the English Channel very easily. Those are three miracles that took place. Now, one uh, German squadron did take off from Flanders, and it did strafe a single beach at Dunkirk. And there were a lot of soldiers on that beach. And here it comes, the German planes just strafing the beach, and the soldiers dove into the sand as if that could protect them from the bullets coming. But I want to tell you, Every man got up, and they saw the bullet holes around them on the beach, and they swore 
Angels lay on top of us and protected us. It was the prayer that made the difference. Then, then, Prime Minister Churchill, we got a bust of Churchill up here. Prime Minister Churchill created Operation Dynamo. And they sent every pleasure craft, every fishing trawler, every everything that they could, a speedboat, whatever they could find, across the channel. And they brought 360,000 men home. It was a miracle. But it started with prayer. It was completed with action. And it was the small ships, not the professional British Navy. And why is that important? Because we're being told over and over and over, leave it to the professionals. I'm done with leaving it to the professionals. It's time for America to stand up and for the men and women in this room to make a difference. Tonight, I'm going to announce a new Operation Dynamo. It's unveiled here, and everyone here has a part. We're in a spiritual war. You know that. We're in a spiritual war, but what you may not have recognized, it's manifesting as an economic war. That's why we're called the economic war room. It seems like it's all about the money. And you every look at every problem, it seems like somebody's making a dime here, a, a dollar there. You know, Matthew chapter 6 says, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guess where America's treasure is? It's in our 401ks, it's in, it's in our economy, it's in the return we get on our investments. We think about money an awful lot here in America. But Luke chapter 16, verse 11 says, if you can't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will ever trust you with true riches? So it does start with money. And it sort of kind of ends with money too, because the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And we see that going on. And you know what our side, the conservatives, do? They say, hey, here's an appeal. Send me your money and we'll take care of it. Send us your money. They seem to only want our money and our votes. They never seem to want us. Have you noticed that? President George W. Bush, we're in the Afghan war, remember? And he said, what we could do, what's our part, what's your part? He said, go to the shopping mall and spend money. Do you remember that? That doesn't sound like World War II where they were saving up tinfoil and they were worried about preserving gas or sending things to the troops. It was, see if you can't spend some money and keep the economy going. China, we've loved as a nation. We've recently seen what I've been warning about since 19, well, 1999, really. We think of China as our banker or our vendor. Guess what? They're our opponent, our adversary, maybe our enemy. And the Chinese know America. They've hit us with economic warfare. The truth is that we're in an economic war. Socialism, critical race theory, you don't think that's all about the money? It really is. The truth is the left wants power. That's what they want. They actually don't care so much about money because they know once they have power, they can change the system. And they'll have the power and they'll be able to use your money. They're willing to use your money to get their power, and they're doing it now. You know, the left, here's a couple of things. One thing about the left is they hate each other, and they work together beautifully. If you don't think about that, think about how the far-left progressive is, is supporting radical Islam. How is that? That doesn't fit. They hate each other, but they work together. Our side, we love each other. And we work together very poorly. So we're looking generally. When you come to a meeting like this, we'll say, hey, here's your investment. I want you to take your money and invest it in my deal, and we'll give you a good return on your money. So I'm looking for investment. That's not what we're doing tonight. Or I do the other thing is write me a big check, and I'll give you a tax deduction. Right? We're all so worried about the tax deduction or the return on our investment that's not what they do on the left. George Soros is not looking for the tax deduction or the return on his investment. He's looking for power. So in their side, money is not the end game. They want control, and if they get that, they'll have everything. But their strength is also their weakness. If we can learn to weaponize our money rather than making it the end game. If you've got money in your wallet or in your account or whatever, that's not the end goal. 
The goal is to preserve, protect, and defend liberty and pass it to the next generation. The left is trying to take control of our money, though, right now. Have you heard of ESG, environmental, social, governance? If you haven't heard of it, you will. Turn on CNBC anytime and listen to the commercials. They're pushing this agenda. Environment is literally climate change. They want to end the energy industry and put us dependent on foreign energy and or uh, intermittent solar and wind. That's their, their goal. And they're not doing it because they think it's better for the planet. They're doing it for the money and the power. Social, the S and G, ESG, social really stands for social justice. So if a company is going to be good under ESG principles and get investment, and there's $40 trillion of investment worldwide to go into ESG companies, then they have to believe in critical race theory. And they've got to support that because that's social justice. It's not justice. And the governance is really gender. They're really pushing a gender agenda. You have to have a certain number of women on your board. You have to have a certain number of gay, lesbian, LGBTQ people on your board. That really is the push. And they couch it under minorities. How about this? How about we put the best people on the boards and look for return on our investment? We talk about LSV, liberty, security, and values. Why would you want ESG when you can have liberty, security, and value? So in the economic war room, we help people get there. The problem is we're selling out our future because you invest in Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the British Empire before World War II was the dominant force on the planet, but they were entering decline. We're in decline now. And I hate to say it, did you know that one in five young people claim to be LGBTQ? One in five, 20% of people, young people, half of those under 30 say socialism is probably a better system. Half. China has a plan to dominate the world by 2049. And you know, while we're talking about providing our military with, with uh, operations to change genders, they're developing super soldiers. Who's going to win? Again, our side says, elect me, give me money. That would be, it's good, it's important, but that'd be like trusting only the British Navy to get the men off Dunkirk. The big naval ships can't get into the shallow harbor. You need the speedboats, you need the fishing trawlers. We need you. So it's not going to work unless you're willing to help. We have shared values in this room. What we need is shared vision. And we need unity. That's why we called you here. We can't rely on the professional soldiers. The stakes are too high for you not to be involved. Our small ships in the economic war room that we talk about every week on this show, we talk about weaponizing your money through spending, giving, and investing. We've got to weaponize our money and line it up with our values. This is our strategic plan. It's our Operation Dynamo. Now, the good news. The 50-plus set, those who are 50 years and older, they get it, and they still believe in traditional America, free market capitalism. The bad news? The 18-year-old has the same vote as a 50-year-old. And if we're relying solely on the votes, they've got the demographic of youth. They're going to win if we don't do something different. The 50-plus set wants... LSV, Liberty, Security, and Values, they don't want ESG. So we need to weaponize giving, spending, and investing. When I'm talking giving, and you're going to hear examples of all three tonight, when I'm talking giving, I want to tell you, Jesus said you can't put old, uh, new wine in old wineskins. New wine requires new wineskins. And tonight, you're going to learn about a new wineskin, a new place you can give and really make a difference. The problem is the far left has captured so many of the old trusted institutions, the ones we used to think were on our side, and they're not anymore. Or maybe they're watered down a little bit. Tonight you're going to hear about American Cornerstone Institute. It is a new institution with brilliant ideas that harkens back to the truth that will educate young people that will really make a difference. And that's brought to us by Dr. Ben Carson and his wife, Candy. We need to change our spending habits, too. How many people in here have a cell phone? Don't raise your hands. Everybody's got a cell phone. 
Your cell phone bill, you look at it every month, it's probably one of the largest expenses you have. You got a house payment maybe, you got a car payment, and you got a cell phone bill. That's a fact. The problem is, is that your cell phone bill is being weaponized against your values right now if you're with T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, or a horrible place called Credo Mobile out of San Francisco. God love them. Those people at Credo Mobile know how to weaponize their customers' money, and they weaponized it so much that they invested to end the Tea Party and to get wonderful heroes like Lieutenant Colonel Alan West voted out of Congress or Michelle Bachman forced out of Congress. They weaponized the money from San Francisco. And our, my good friend Glenn Story said, whoa, wait a minute. Why can't we have a, a cell phone company that will support good things, good causes, good candidates? And so you'll hear about um, uh, Patriot Mobile tonight. By the way, their coverage is just as good as Sprint, T-Mobile, or AT&T because it is Sprint, T-Mobile, or an AT&T. So you got to hear that. It's just phenomenal coverage. So giving, spending, and investing, that's the big one. You don't want to invest in Woca-Cola, and if you noticed... Last week, ExxonMobil had three new directors elected to the ExxonMobil board who pledged to end the use of fossil fuels in the world. And they're governing ExxonMobil. Isn't that crazy? How did they do that? Very minority shareholders knew how to work the system, got the proxy votes, they used the ESG platform, and they literally voted off good directors in order to replace them with those that want to end fossil fuels. Did you know most of the shares that you own have been hijacked? If you own a mutual fund or an index fund or whatever, somebody's voting on your behalf to tell that corporation how to run, and guess what? They're not voting in line with your values. They're voting against your values. They're voting to adopt ESG. They're voting to destroy the fossil fuel industry, to produce uh, the social justice, and the firm uh, critical race theory and so forth. If you have a Merrill Lynch account, Merrill Lynch is studying what you've invested in to see if it lines up with their ESG beliefs. Wait a minute, whose money is it? Is it yours or Merrill Lynch's? I wanna know. And guess what? Corporate America is falling in line. And if you don't believe that, look at, at the, June, the month that corporate logos bloom into rainbows, right? Every corporation has a rainbow now. Pride month. Is that your values? Is that what you want? How does Coca-Cola get away with telling 74 million plus Trump voters, we don't care about you, election integrity isn't important, we don't need a voter ID in Atlanta. So proxy voting, we have the most votes, but we lose almost every election. We need a solution for that. And we can have one at no cost to you and huge opportunity for financial advisors. You've got cards. I'm going to talk to you. I want you to pull those cards up, and I want you to look at the card. On one side, it says Economic War Room, and on the other side, it says NSIC. I want you to go to Economic War Room after tonight, look at that, and watch our show 30 minutes a week. In 30 minutes, you will get more and better information, I believe, than you'll get watching Fox News 24 hours a day. So I'm going to cover the six steps, action steps, that you can do. First, pray. Second, follow Economic War Room. Third, get your existing financial advisor to join the NSIC to get trained at Liberty University. Fourth, switch your phone service to Patriot Mobile. Fifth, reevaluate your giving. New wine deserves new wineskins. I'm suggesting American Cornerstone Institute and Dr. Carson. And sixth, expect a miracle. We, we will tell you about an incredible property that we have, 100 acres just south of Denton between the 35s, where, you, where we could possibly get that, feed 100 people, sleep, have 100 people sleep in beds, full commercial conference training facility. It's just south of Denton, dedicated to the Lord. We need friends. If you want to help us make that happen, come see me or anyone on my team. We want to maybe move our studio there. We need a miracle to make that happen, but I believe in miracles. We're going to use this new facility for God's purpose. So I leave you with that charge, and I want you now to hear from one of the most amazing people I've ever met, a top neurosurgeon, a great businessman, presidential candidate, 
Most recently, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, where he spearheaded opportunity zones to radically reduce poverty, and he now heads the American Cornerstone Institute. I ask you to welcome Secretary Dr. Ben Carson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Candy and I are absolutely delighted to be here. We're always happy to be in Texas because there are people here with common sense. And, uh, you know, they're, although they're starting to infiltrate, you know, and some of the others are, but, but also to be here with uh, my friend Kevin Freeman, who is an exemplary patriot. And that's what we need these days, patriots in America. You know, interestingly enough, you know, I thought that I would retire after the Trump administration abruptly ended. But, you know, just like I failed retirement the first time, I failed it the second time, too. <laughs> because in thinking about playing golf all day and traveling around and enjoying myself, I realized pretty quickly that I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself seeing what was happening to our country. You know, it is really a critical time right now. If America goes the way of socialism and communism, what happens to the world? And when you think about what the world was like before America became a superpower, with all of these despotic leaders trampling over other people and destroying their lives. And if you don't think it would go back to that, think again. It would. America is what stands between that kind of a world and the world we have today. Now, the world we have today is by no means perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, because it's inhabited by people, and people are imperfect. But in terms of providing freedom and opportunity, this is the destination place for so many people throughout the world, or at least it has been until recently. You know, I was looking at a program a couple of months ago, and they were interviewing college students in other countries. And the last question for each of them was, would you like to come to the United States? And they all had the same answer. No. They said, I'd like, I used to want to go to the United States. I don't want to go there anymore. It's changed. And I think people are noticing. I think people around the world are saying, what in the world is going on with those people? They've gone nuts. They've lost their minds, which is true. Um, for a lot of the prominent people in leadership. Not for the average American. The average American actually is level-headed and has common sense. But the average American is also silent. And that's why a minority is able to control the narrative. And it's so important to begin to speak out, but you can't speak out unless you know what you're talking about. And that was the origin of American Cornerstone. Now, there are several members of our staff at HUD who got together with me, and we created the Institute to carry on a lot of the things that we were already doing that were really aimed at getting people out of dependency and getting them into a state of self-sufficiency. That was the big, big change that you saw at HUD outside of the other big change, which was fiscal responsibility. There had not been a functional CFO at HUD for eight years. They had not been able to do an audit. The auditors would just say, there are too many material defects here. You can't audit this place. And yet, 
billions and billions, tens of billions of American taxpayer dollars flowing through a place like that. It was the Wild West. And uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to get a terrific CFO, Irv Dennis from Ernst & Young, with a lot of uh, encouragement and conjoling, he came. Uh, and of course, when he looked at the books, he was ready to run out. But uh, he said Ernst & Young would have never taken HUD on as a client. But, uh, but Irv and a number of wonderful people were able to completely turn it around. I would dare say that HUD is now the best-run agency in Washington, D.C. And <laughs> exemplary for the others, which shows that things actually uh, can be done with the right people. But uh, none of those people were willing to just accept that the country was going to go off in another direction. And we started thinking about what made America great in the first place. What were the cornerstone principles that made us into a great nation? How did we go from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the most powerful nation in the history of the world? It was not a coincidence. It was because of certain principles. Number one, our faith. We actually had faith. If you look at the Democracy in America, two volumes set by Alexis de Tocqueville, who came over to study America because the Europeans were just fascinated. How could this fledgling country be doing so well? There's nothing like that has ever happened before. So he was going to study and dissect the whole thing. And at the end of that two-volume set, he said, the thing that is most impressive is their churches, their ministers, their faith, their belief in themselves, and what kind of people they are, which comes from their relationship with God, their sense of right and wrong. Think about that. And what happens when you begin to relinquish that faith? Something else has to replace it. And if you don't have God-given values, like love your fellow man, that gets replaced with things like cancel your fellow man. Hate people who disagree with you. Try to make their lives difficult. Nothing about unity and strength. Those are the kinds of things that begin to happen to us as a people. Another very important cornerstone, liberty, freedom. Isn't that why people came to this country? They didn't want somebody with their foot on their neck all the time telling them what they could do, when they could do it, how they could do it, where they could do it. Isn't that what's beginning to happen now in this country? And uh, I think uh, some of the people who are interested in control have found the very best control mechanism they could ever dream of, COVID-19. Oh, boy, we can tell these people what to do and how to do it and where and when and why. And we can change our minds every two weeks, and it doesn't matter. We just have complete control of everything. What a bunch of crap. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, just, it's amazing. And, you know, it is virtually under control at this point, at this point. but do you hear them saying that it's under control? No. There's a new strain, and it's going to creep up and grab you. <laughs> and it's going to get your children, even though there's no evidence that this has much of an effect on children at all. You know, I think about our poor kids. What must it be like to be a three, four, five-year-old? You got to wear a mask when you go to school. 
Everybody else has to wear a mask. That's good. You miss out on a very important part of the socialization process, facial expression. Learning to evaluate the expression versus what's being said. That's a real detriment. And then you're told that you may be carrying some horrible, deadly disease, even though you don't feel bad yourself. And you may give it to your grandmother, <laughs> who may die. Unfortunately, grandmothers do die. But you don't have to feel guilty about it, unless somebody has convinced you that you did it. Think what that does to someone's self-image. And then, if you're white, you're evil. <laughs> and your parents are evil. And your grandparents are evil. And they caused all the problems in this country and every place else in the world. And you should just feel like a piece of scum. <laughs> you know? And then, if you're black, you're a victim. And you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And all those people have caused all these problems for you. You're not to blame for anything. You can do anything you want. It's OK, because it's their fault. What a bunch of crap. I mean, when you stop and think about And yet, these are young people who are trying to develop a sense of identity, who they are. They got all this stuff coming at them. And then if that's not bad enough, you may not be a girl. You may not be a boy. <laughs> Who knows what you are? It's what you feel like right now. I mean, this is beyond, we have lost our minds. We really have. It's craziness. But what it's going to require, people stop being cowards. Stop being afraid. We cannot be afraid to stand up for what we believe in. Let people call you a racist. Let them call you whatever they want. Remember when you were a kid, there was a saying, they don't say it anymore. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You don't hear, you don't hear that anymore. They don't teach that to the kids. They tell them, words are horrible, horrible things. You know, political correctness is the most important thing. You can only say this, you can only say that. You know, I'm not politically correct, and I'm proud of it. And I will never be politically correct. And, you know, what is freedom of speech? It's the ability to speak freely on what you believe. Not to be worried about whether you're going to be censored or whether you're going to be canceled. And, you know, we've reached a time in our country where it's going to be necessary for the silent people to stand up and to fight back. Because you're fighting not for yourself, but you're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your grandchildren. You're fighting for for freedom in this nation. America is not a place. America is an idea. It's an idea about liberty and justice. An idea about the ability to worship as you please, to lead the kind of life you want, to put as much energy into something or as little energy as you want to reap the benefits of that. And one of the things about America, there are a lot of people who you know, are down on people who are rich, saying how horrible they are, how they're causing all our problems. Newsflash, who creates all the jobs? Who creates the opportunities? They're not poor people. It's rich people who do that. And you know, I heard a lot of that when I was growing up, resentment about rich people and just silly stuff like that. But my mother always encouraged us in another way. We were poor, 
and she worked as a domestic cleaning people's houses, but sometimes she would take us to work with her and say, see these beautiful neighborhoods and these beautiful homes and all this? And she said, you have a choice. You can live where we live, or you can live in a place like this. But the person who determines that is not somebody else. The person who determines that is you. And she would always say, why do you sit around watching TV all the time? If you develop your mind, people be looking at you on TV. She was right. <laughs> but, you know, it's so important that we stand up, the people who think logically. This is nothing, this has nothing to do with Republicans and Democrats. Nothing. You know, it used to have a lot to do with Republicans and Democrats. But the difference was they had the same goals. They just had different ways of getting there. Now we're talking about people who love America, who love the concept, and who are willing to fight for it. And you have people who hate America and want to fundamentally change it into something else. That's why it becomes more difficult. But do remember, there are a lot of people on the other side of the aisle who actually are reasonable people. It's just that their grandfather and their great-grandfather and their father and their mother, they were all Democrats, and they just feel they belong there. They need to be shown and welcomed into a different way of thinking and understand what it is that they're supporting when they support this move toward socialism, this move away from our godly principles of understanding that our rights come from God and not from the government. And then the, the next cornerstone, liberty. I can't say enough about how important it is to be able to do what you want to do to live your life the way you want to live it as long as it isn't infringing upon someone else's rights. That's what liberty is about. Freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of virtually anything that you want to do. Now, some people say, that doesn't work anymore because if we allow people to do what they want, you know, because we're essentially a bigoted and racist country, we will discriminate against blacks and browns and gays and whatever. All you have to do is ask yourself, how different is this country today than it was 50 years ago? It's completely different. I was around 50 years ago. I remember. <laughs> I remember, and, and it was accepted. I remember when I was in the eighth grade, and I was the only black student in the eighth grade. And uh, I had been a terrible student when I was in the fifth grade. I was the worst student ever. But it was the same kids in the eighth grade that I was with in the fifth grade. And, you know, they gave a certificate out for the highest achievement. And, you know, I was, by the time I was in eighth grade, I was top student. Um, and you would take your report card around to each teacher and they would put the grade on it. And I had all A's. I got to the last class, which was band. <laughs> and, but I was really good in band, so I said, I got this. The turkey gave me a C. OK? 
because he wanted to ruin my report card to make sure I didn't get the award. To his chagrin, it turned out Ben didn't count. <laughs> but, but at the award ceremony, one of the teachers got up and berated all the other kids. He said, you kids aren't trying hard enough because a black kid should not be number one. But see, that was 50 years ago. That was more than 50 years ago. You, you wouldn't see anything like that today. But the left is not willing to acknowledge the changes that have occurred in our society for the positive, for the best. And we have to be willing to talk about that. We can't just sit in the corner and let them carry the entire narrative. And then the next cornerstone, community. So important in terms of the United States of America. That's the reason that we were able to flourish the way we did. Because of all those small neighborhoods out in the southern corner of Texas and the northern corner of Iowa and New Hampshire. Little communities where people with different skills work together to create what they needed for their communities to flourish and to grow. And all of those communities began to coalesce and we developed the kind of strength the kind of productivity that is seen only in a place like America. And everybody contributes. You know, there are some who don't realize, for instance, the contributions of the African American community. And that's something that I think has been really demonstrated in some of the new textbooks. There's uh, Black History 365 that just came out. Very good textbook. But you see so many of the young black men, young black boys incarcerated and in situations that are horrible because they have family structures where there's no father figure. There's no authority figure. And uh, they end up in jail in the penal system or dead. The most common cause of death in young black men is homicide. You know, that makes no sense. And how did it happen? And what can we do about it? It happened because of the breakdown in the family structure and departure from faith and from God, the things that were the solid foundations. But anybody could take that young man when he's six years old. I don't care what your race is. You could walk down the streets of Dallas, Texas, and you could give him a black history lesson that he'd never forget. You could start out by pointing to his shoes and say it was Jan Black Motzleger, a black man who invented the automatic shoe lasting machine, which revolutionized the shoe industry throughout the world. And he steps on that clean street, and you tell him, what did you say? Oh. <laughs> she said, and you say it was Charles Brooks, a black man who invented the refrigeration system for trucks, later adopted for airplanes and trains. And then it comes to a stop at the red light, and you tell them it was Garrett Morgan, a black man who invented the traffic light. And you can tell how he also invented the gas mask, saved lots of lives during the war. You talk about the war, you talk about Henrietta Bradbury, a black woman who invented the underwater cannon, made it possible to launch torpedoes from submarines. And then you see a beautiful black woman walking down the street. A black man did not invent her, but... <laughs> but you can take that opportunity to talk about Madam C.J. Walker, a black woman who invented cosmetic products for women of dark complexion, was the first woman of any nationality in this country to become a millionaire on her own efforts. 
And then you'll walk past the hospital, Charles Drew and the contributions to blood banking, blood plasma understanding. And you go, operating room, Daniel Hale Williams, a black surgeon, the first open heart surgery successful in the world. And you look up at the surgical light, Thomas Edison. You didn't know he was black, did you? <laughs> well, he wasn't. But, but his right-hand man, Louis Latimer, was. And it was Louis Latimer who came up with the filament that made the light bulb work for more than two or three days, invented the electric lamp, incandescent lighting, Diagram the telephone for Alexander Graham Bell was a tremendous inventor in his own right. Most people have never even heard of him. He walked past the railroad tracks, Andrew Beard, the automatic railroad car coupler spurred on the Industrial Revolution. Elijah McCoy, the automatic locomotive lubricating system. In fact, Elijah McCoy had so many inventions, people would say, is that a McCoy? Is that? The real McCoy. <laughs> you, got, you got people like David Duke talking about the real McCoy. don't even know who he's paying homage to. And, uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, those were tremendous contributions, and I'm just barely touching the surface. But here's the coolest part. I can take that same walk down the street for virtually any nationality in this country and point out tremendous contributions that were made. That's why we're called the United States of America. And we should not let anybody destroy that for us. And then the last cornerstone is life. From the womb to the tomb. We have to respect life. And as we've moved away from that honoring of life, we've become more callous in our relationships with each other. You know, my wife was uh, at a banquet, and this beautiful, statuesque young woman came to her, and she said, are you? Dr. Carson's wife? She said, yes. She said, your husband operated on me when I was still in my mother's womb. And now here she is, this beautiful, well-developed young lady who is able to take care of herself. And that's why you will never convince me that what is in a woman's womb is a meaningless bunch of cells. Absolutely not. And then those people on the street, those drug addicts, what would Jesus do? He would be compassionate. I can tell you something about drug addicts. They want to keep taking their drugs, but if they could push a button and not be a drug addict, they would wear that button out. It's not something that they really have a choice in, and they need help. And just taking them off the street and putting them in an apartment is not enough help. See, that's what's called housing first. And that's what a lot of people on the left advocate. I like housing first. It's a good thing. But you can't just do housing first. You've got to do housing second and housing third. Housing second is you diagnose the reason they're on the street, and housing third, you fix it. If you don't do that, you haven't really contributed to a solution. We have the ability to do that. In fact, we were well on the way in Los Angeles and other parts of California where they have the biggest problems. Working with uh, Mayor Garcetti and some of the other county people, we had a very good plan in place, and then along came COVID-19, unfortunately, knocked everything out. But it is possible. It is possible to work with the other side. We've got to learn to work together. We cannot be destroyed as a nation by Russia, 
or China or North Korea or Iran. But we can be destroyed by us. That's why Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln repeated that. It is absolutely true. And we have got to start working toward that. And you know what's going to happen? You can take this to the bank. Conservatives will regain power in our country. It is very important that they not act like the far left and try to punish everybody. Somebody at some point has got to be the adult in the room. Otherwise, all we do is lurch right and lurch left. Back right and back left. Never any forward progress. It's time to make forward progress. That doesn't mean that we have to accommodate absolutely crazy stuff. But it does mean that we need to engage in conversations and come to solutions that actually make sense. Because we are, as I said before, the leaders of the world. Freedom and liberty for the world is dependent upon freedom and liberty in this country. And our biggest weapon, our tool, is our faith in God. And we must remember that we are indeed one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. How many people in here have investments in the stock market in one form or another? Just raise your hand. Almost everyone. How many people in here have index funds? Index funds. Here's what's going on on Wall Street. And I spent, well, I, I've been investing since 1982 professionally. I graduated from the University of Tulsa, but my dad gave me a job at his investment newsletter in 1982. And so it's been a long time that I've been doing this, 40 years almost. And I want to tell you the industry has changed, and it's changed for the worse in some ways. And one of the ways it's changed for the worse is that individuals no longer pick stocks. They don't find something to buy. They just buy into the market, and you're told that's the best way to do it. But the companies that do that, like BlackRock, largest provider of index funds on the planet, $7 trillion, $8 trillion under management now, what they do is they lecture you about what you're investing in the United States with the ESG that I mentioned earlier. And then they turn around and they're taking your money and putting it in communist China. And I want to tell you, they just passed a law in China. There's a number of laws, but every corporation must serve the Communist Party. That's the law of China. So when you invest in a Chinese company, you're literally investing in the demise of the United States because the policy of China is to supplant America. And Larry Fink is more than happy to lecture you about the type of investments you do here while he goes and invests your money in communist China that is not good for the environment, not good for social justice, and certainly not good for governance. The Chinese have taken our money 20 years ago, actually in 1999, when they published a book called Unrestricted Warfare, they set out to defeat the United States. That's the purpose of the book. When it was written, the Chinese economy was one-tenth the size of ours, basically the size of Italy. And in 20 years, through intellectual property theft, through sucking up all of our capital, through con convincing American businesses to go to China and then stealing the business from them, from lying, cheating, and stealing on their uh, offerings of the stock market, and they're allowing them again under Biden. The Biden administration, actually when it, when it was the Obama-Biden administration, uh, Vice President Biden at that time led an initiative to have a memo of understanding that said that a Chinese company listed here does not have to conform to our accounting standards. And that's when you invest in a Chinese company like Luck and Coffee and you find out that they're lying to us. They're faking their accounting. So we started a solution to this. 
called the National Security Investment Consultant Institute because you don't have time, I'm guessing, to vote your proxies. You may not even know how to vote your proxies. You don't have time, I'm guessing, uh, to determine which companies are supporting communist China and which are not. So we started two training classes. One was at Oklahoma Wesleyan University in the year 2014, and we trained 50 individuals. And we said, go out and serve your clients and invest only in things that will help preserve, protect, and defend America. Because what matters more to you, your money or your liberty? What do you want to pass to your kids? What good will it be to give them your money if you don't give them America with the liberty that we have? So we train investment advisors. We needed to do it on scale. So we went to the largest online Christian university we could find, Liberty University, and we talked to Dave Bratt, the former congressman, the dean of the business school, brilliant economist, and said, hey, Dave, we want to train using the online curriculum at Liberty, and we're about to launch that. And if you don't have an advisor that's helping you weaponize your money to defend America and not destroy America, you need one. Or take the existing advisor you have and send them to us. We'll train them. There are a lot of financial advisors that will be trained that want clients just like you. It won't cost you a dime. It will benefit you greatly, and it may help save America. Here's the six action steps. First, begin with prayer. Everything important begins with prayer. Lay it out before God and say, help, help, help. If King George can beg God to save the British, we can ask God to help save America and the world. Number two, take that card with you. Look at the EWR side, the, the QR code that's on there. Click it. Watch Economic War Room. We cover all these topics. I think you'll be surprised if you watch our show. Watch the whole thing and watch it every week. It comes out every Thursday on Blaze TV. You don't have to subscribe to Blaze. We'd love you to. Use the code word econ. But if you want to watch it free, we put it out there as many places as we can. Blaze has given us. Blaze has said to us, this is so important to get out that you can put it anywhere you want to. You don't have to subscribe to get it. And go to economicwarroom.com and you can find it, that QR code. Flip the card over, use the QR code, and get your financial advisor trained. Your CPA, your, your financial planner, your stockbroker, your insurance agent, tell them you need to do this. It's in their interests. They'll find more and better clients, and you'll have somebody working for you at no cost, no additional cost, to help you weaponize your money. And then sign up with Patriot Mobile. That's step number five, weaponize your spending. You can do that. Your mortgage right now, I can't tell you the Patriot Mortgage Company versus the non-Patriot Mortgage Company. I can't tell you. I don't know what that is. The cars, you're going to buy a car. The next bill you got is your cell phone bill. Start there. Weaponize your money. Switch. You get the same coverage. You want to look at coverage maps, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile. You can get that same coverage. It's incredible. And you can help save America. And then finally, Dr. Carson through all of the dedicated service he has done, first on our health, saving people's lives, laying his life on the line, running against his will because the people call us to run, Ben, run. <laughs> Serving in the Trump administration, being attacked, being vilified. And now he said, I'm still giving. I still want to help save America. The American Cornerstone Institute is a remarkable opportunity for you to make a very real difference. And it's not an old wineskin. It's a new wineskin. And we need it desperately now. You heard the four cornerstones. They're phenomenal. And then number six, expect a miracle. I mentioned we have this property. It's about 100 acres. It can sleep 100. It can feed 100. It, it, it can conference 100. It is a strategic part of the country between the 235s just south of Denton. I don't know how we're going to get it. I just know that the people who own it have come to me and said, are you the one that God wants us to pass that property to, to steward? We're going to have to give them something in return. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm praying. I'm talking to our, our partners at Economic War Room and saying, God, is this for us? But I know if we get it, Dr. Carson, I want you to know that property is available for the American Cornerstone Institute to use anytime in any way. We'll move our studio there and we'll make the studio available anyway, anytime for your use. Let me say, Lord, thank you. Grant us your peace this evening and then 
train our hearts and our hands for war. Let us glorify you. God, please bless the work of our hands that we may bring more people to liberty. We praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. God bless the USA. Amen. Amen.